Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are and wherever you're watching from, or if you're watching later, listening to the podcast, whatever it might be, we're glad that you're here with us today. Another great show. We're continuing our 10-week series on creating tutorial videos. So if you're a creator of tutorial videos, you want to start creating tutorial videos, we've got a few episodes that we've already created about those various topics. And today, we're going to continue that series and talking about kind of that ramp up period. You know you want to make something, you're not looking for the overall kind of structure of, of what do I do, but we're not going to be talking about the editing process. We're going to be talking about the things, steps that you need to take beforehand with our guest Lee Rodriguez in just a minute. Before we do that though, I want to talk about a special opportunity and I don't want to bury the lead here because there's lots of events you could join, lots of things that you could do out there. And we're partnering with a company called Thinkific and they've got a great opportunity. Uh, before I talk about the event though, real quick, let me just share this so you can see what it looks like. We'll put the link in the, in the, uh, in the chat so you guys can get that. But here's the thing. Here's, here's the lead. I think six, I think it is. Let me say, nope, not six, half that three lucky winners are going to win six months free on the Thinkific platform, which is worth about $600 worth of value. And all you have to do is go register for the event and it's a free event now, but here's beyond all that. You want to win some Thinkific, that's awesome. Let me tell you a little bit about the event. So again, we're partnering with Zaley Barclay and Thinkific to support Thinking Color 2021, which we're kicking, it's kicking off on July 27th. It's a free virtual event that will showcase 15 plus amazing female digital entrepreneurs hosting talks and, and workshops to help you create, market, and sell your own digital content. And if you're just getting started and creating your own online business or Shoot, even if you're not, you're just an instructional designer creating training content, you want to learn more what other people are doing, you're not going to want to miss this because not only will you hear the story behind these inspiring women, you'll learn strategies about creating impactful content, how to make your brand stand out, marketing strategies to grow your audience, how to create digital products that generate recurring revenue, and a ton more. So go check out Thinking Color. Again, three of Lucky TechSmith audience members are going to, if you register, you're going to get a chance to win access for six months to the Thinkific platform, which is pretty darn cool. So with all that said though, let's talk about what we're doing and let's introduce our guest today because he is awesome. So let's get into this. Lee is a technical instructional designer with more than 15 years of experience in the field of technology, training, and multimedia production. He uses the Addy, Agile, SAM, and Five Moments of Need models to design, develop, and evaluate blended learning solutions for measurable and improvable behaviors. Lee developed a strategy that automated e-learning assignment and completion tracking for Sunrun's sales onboarding process, which reduced administration time and earned the team a Lenny Award for the best sales training program from SAP Litmus. And as an Apple certified Final Cut Pro instructor, Lee developed YouTube's first ever award-winning online certification program and produced a series of 85 interactive instructional videos at several Google locations and studios. Lee, he's someone that enjoys cooking, disc golf, ping pong, and you know, someone who writes his own bio, writing about himself in the third person. He's an amazing person, someone that I looked up to and all the work that he does because he's always doing something cool. And he is I'm so grateful that he's here today. So help me welcome Lee Rodriguez to the Visual Lounge. Lee, welcome. We're glad you're here today. So glad to be here with you, Matt. Well, it's a, it's always a pleasure to get to talk with you, and it seems like forever uh, that we've had that chance to meet up. 
given the state of the world and things. So it's it's always a good chance. So bios being what they are, they say a lot, but they don't say everything. What else would you, Lee, want our audience to know about you that you think might be relevant for them today? Well, it, it was fun to hear you talk about the YouTube project. And that was, you know, every, every one of us has a crazy, like, gigantic project you did. And let's be honest, most of them are really short, short timeline, get something out really quick that makes sense. And that's what I've become a lot better at the, the rapid development. We need a screencast for something and we need it in three days. And I find the work behind the scenes, the outlining is what makes that possible. And it, it's almost like when you, um, Talk about yoga and meditation. Every, everyone wants to know what is the secret. Well, it's about going back to the breath and being present. And unfortunately, it'll continue to return to that. No matter how complicated we try to make it or how big we try to make it, it always comes back to the basics of just observing the breath and being present. When it comes to good video production, that comes back to the outline, the simple script that we made when we started so we know when we're finished. And everyone has had that moment where you skipped the outline and you go straight to editing and you have no idea when this video is going to be done. Ain't that the truth? I mean, that's, that's the sermon right there, right? That's, that's the message is knowing what you got to know when you're done, but you do that through the outline. Lee, real quick for our audience. Um, you know, I mentioned the YouTube project in your bio. Uh, so what I think is interesting, I was going to, I was tweeting something out, like mentioning the show and I was like, Oh, you made 85 videos for, for YouTube. But that sounds like it's a channel, like you made 85 videos for your own channel, which is really, honestly, that's not that impressive. But you actually were doing work for the organization, creating a certification program, which is much, much more impressive. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So they had started with what everyone starts with, a bunch of room recordings of a presentation of someone recording a whiteboard or a big screen projecting a slide deck on and describing the principles that had to be taught for this certification. And as you can imagine, YouTube creators wanted something a little bit more creative than a room recording. So we helped them to prototype the first one, to script out how do we make something that tells a story with real people and then has some sort of engagement with e-learning as a part of it. And after we prototyped it, everyone loved it. Here's the first five videos. It was wonderful. Now we need 88 more of those. <laughs> Who do we need to hire? And that's where we discovered um, Studio G. They had a several million dollar production studio in Mountain View campus. And we were able to utilize that. And to get it done on time, it required, when I say I created 88 videos, it was a team of 15 animators, six editors, a bunch of writers, and of course, the famous Sam Rogers, who we both know, who helped me help them to understand the power of good writing. And that's really where it took. When we showed them a good script, recorded a good script, it became great, make them all like that. I was like, well, that's another 70 videos we're gonna have to script. And it turns out it was all about the writing and the production will be fine if you have a good script and you have an idea of how it's going to come together. And I guess the, one of the biggest lessons I learned from that, that I, I can't say enough, um, whenever you're doing a big project, always take a prototype, upload that to the final delivery system and test that early. 
because you do not want to be days away from launch and finding out the video file you're exporting doesn't work. The encoding has a problem. We have a codec problem mm -hmm. and we need to solve that. It would be much easier to figure that out a month before you launch than two days till launch time. You've already rendered out 20 videos and none of them will work on the platform. Finding yeah. that out first was a great lesson to learn. So it's <laughs> test early, test often, and be prepared for the tragedy earlier rather than, because there's always gonna be some production, some launching, some LMS, something we didn't expect. Do a prototype early and sometimes you can start getting tickets open to resolve that and you have a little bit of runway before mm -hmm. nothing worse than we launch tomorrow and we've got four tickets open with the LMS and I still can't launch this course. Yeah. Well, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think from an experience standpoint, it's important to establish that you, you've worked on these really large productions because I think that's an experience of itself and lends to some, I think you're thinking. So, so give us a view into your world, like, from a video perspective, what kind of what kind of work are you doing now in video? Because I you're not I take it you're not doing those same massively fifth what did you say fifteen anim animators six editors and maybe you are but at least when we've talked it seems like you're doing a lot more kind of one two people kind of projects is that right? Yeah, so those were fun those days of having crews of people that do all the heavy lifting. Uh, these days, every once in a while, will involve a production crew, but for the most part, it is me with my handy Padcaster. I have a device that I can put an iPad into and record with that, which makes great for reviewing and editing and whatnot. We also have a couple Canon DSLRs. And ultimately, well, the project I'm working on now is a workflow using Salesforce from the beginning to the end of a, uh, a sales process for our solar company, Sunrun. And what we've done is have an in-person, on-camera greeting, setting context what the video is about. And then that partners up and does some nice cross-dissolves into higher, higher produced screencasts. I, I will record in Camtasia, get exactly what I want from the instructions of the step-by-step, -step, and then I bring that into Premiere and add their cool effects and all that stuff for rendering and little tools with music and whatnot fading. But uh, at the same time, I do a lot of one-off projects 100% in Camtasia, which we all get. A, a request, we have to launch this, we need a quick how-to video. And I always start with a script, get it clear, get it clean, what are we doing? And I use a tool to get reviews and feedback. But it all comes back to, before you make a recipe, it helps to make sure you have all the ingredients for that recipe, and you are ready to make it. And uh, I don't know if your audience has heard the term mise en place. Have you heard that? I, I, I don't know. I, I, it sounds familiar, my, but my, it sounds French, and my French is not very good. So. Yeah, oui. Um, <laughs> me, me, mise en place means everything in its place. Mm. And you've seen people cook this way. Before you fire up the wok to start cooking, you cut up all your vegetables, all your meat, all your sauces are all prepared. Everything's measured out, laid out right there. And you see it in all the cooking shows. Each, all the onions are in a little glass bowl. That means all of your ingredients are in place. And now we create. Everyone has had that moment where the wok is smoking and you're trying to cut onions as quickly as you can to get them in there. That would be the opposite of mise en place, which is how many of us do our video production. Mm -hmm. Haphazardly realizing I'm missing a bunch of stuff. I got to do some pickups. Um, hopefully you recorded all the in-person stuff and you got that beforehand. And if not, we're going to have some fun voiceover, are we not? So we get everything together, and which is how I do all my Camtasia stuff. I 
I mise en place means I'll all the things I need to say, I like to get all my audio clear of what I'm going to be saying, record all that, lay that down in the editor and make sure the story makes sense. Now we can start talking about visuals, effects, transitions, what we're going to focus on. My biggest fear is how I learned the hard way. You begin doing massive post-production work to scenes you're going to end up cutting later. Oh yeah. Never, That's never fun. All this beautiful transition that comes together and they've cut that feature out of the software. We're not going to use it. So I like to get the proof first, then start playing with post-production, then start doing that, which means the scripting's got to be clear for the audio track to be clear. Now we can play with our visuals and we can do a lot. I mean, I do a lot of screen recordings with no audio whatsoever. I'm just trying mm -hmm. to get the visual to match up because my audio is done below and I know where it's got to fit. And I'll, I may speed it up, I may slow it down, I may grab a still and hold that still for a while while I tell the story. Mm -hmm. But it really helps to have something visual there. And then it doesn't, it's not terrible to think about the images you might want to use before you start getting mired in the editor. And I think a lot of us find ourselves knee deep in the editor far too soon, far too soon. Yeah. You're firing it up, you're not even sure what it is we're doing, but hey, let's start recording stuff. And it just means that your library is going to get very big. And if you didn't name anything in your library, hint, hint, um, they're all <laughs> going to say image 180596, which is, you know, really contextually helpful later on when you're trying mm -hmm. to find that recording going, yeah, I recorded seven that day. And they all started on the exact same screen. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so you're, you're dropping some, some great things here and I, I want to, let's shape this conversation a little bit. Let's, let's step, step back a little bit to that high level before we're, cause you, you said a lot of great things about organizing, you said some great things about, uh, you know, the mise en place, getting all your stuff together before you go, like when you're given an assignment and someone says, oh, we need training. Cause that's usually how the requests come in. Like, oh, we need training on whatever process, you know, Salesforce starts, finish, whatever. What, what kind of questions are you asking yourself? What, what process are you going through to determine kind of the, the, not only the outcome, like, oh yes, we need to do this, but like even the media that you're going to use. Cause I'm assuming, and uh, you know, dangerous, uh, assuming that video is just one of the many tools in your tool belt of kind of delivery mechanisms that you have to help within your organization. Um, my guess is given your background, you use video pretty freely, but what kind of questions are you asking to, to get to that point? Like saying, yep, we're going to do a video. Now let's start organizing, get our scripting figured out, get whatever thing's going to be there, getting the, all the, the ingredients together. Excellent question. So to start off, I begin a simple needs analysis and I need to answer two questions, two questions. The most important one is, is this a workflow based instruction or is it knowledge transfer? Let me dig those down for a minute. Knowledge transfer, as we most know, is similar to talking an email to somebody. We call it story time. You would send them text. They may read it. They may not. If someone reads it to them, adds some animation, some music, it's more likely to be absorbed but there is no observable measurable behavior that we are attempting to change with this product and that's what i call knowledge transfer and i cut everything into that bucket the other bucket is is this a workflow is this a process a workflow stages that go through the workflow if it is then that will apply to the five moments of need design approach 
and that's where I can treat it as a workflow, determine what are the performance objectives that I need to achieve. And I want to define the difference between a performance objective and a learning objective. Mm-hmm. A learning objective is knowledge, right? We're going to know this. And I think the big thing for people to remember, the difference between corporate education and academia, in my eyes, is in academia, the pursuit is the knowledge. You're going there to learn this knowledge. In a corporate world, we're not pursuing the knowledge. We're performing a performance improvement. That's what we're trying to get is an improvement in performance, hence the term performance objective. So if there's a task they need to perform, how do we measure if it's done effectively? Is that based on how many trouble tickets are open with support, the number of errors and a submission of something? We can find a way to hang a measurement on that. That becomes a performance objective. And if you have those nailed down, you've basically just created 50% of the outline that you may need for the video you're going to move to next. But I said video too soon. It depends on the media on how we're going to communicate this. On emerging stuff, I will use mainly text to build my initial rollout. And I use video specifically for evergreen content. And to me, evergreen content is the context, the concept that probably will not shift, but the details within the tool will change. The policies will change. The windows will change. The buttons will change. All of that, we may want to think about text or a simple type of video. But the, the evergreen is the concept. No matter how we find this menu, will stay the same. So we, we ask that first question, performance or learning objective, and then we get to how would we measure that if it worked or not. If you can't measure it, it's still knowledge transfer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so it's interesting. I love, I love this approach that you, it's so simple, right? It's this knowledge per, transfer it's a, or it's a workflow and it's got some performance uh, role. And then even just the fact that you said like the evergreen content is for video. And I'm assuming that's because it's, you want it. You don't want to come back and touch it every three months, six months, year, even maybe. I don't know if you have a, a defined length for that, but then text is easy to change. So that makes so much sense to me. Do you kind of put a, a length of time that you hope the video content will live in terms of that kind of consideration, that evergreen consideration? Yeah, that's the shelf life. And I, I go back to Ray Eames and Ray Eames one time said, I want to do the best for the most with the least. The best for the most with the least. And if that doesn't ring true, you may not want to consider video for the project. Or if so, build it in such a way that it's modular and easy to change and update. And by that I mean keeping some simple screen capture visuals that you can then come behind the scenes and change that audio underneath. We use a serving platform called Sprout, which is essentially your YouTube for um, companies. It mm-hmm. sends out video assets anywhere you want internally. And I know you guys have a similar product that does that. Um, we put videos up there because I could update a new version to that in a moment. And mm-hmm. that new video will then render out to all the audience. And if I'm using that inside of an e-learning course, inside of a SCORM package, if I update that video from Sprout, from Sprout that e-learning SCORM package does not need to be changed. The video inside of it will update automatically. Makes sense. Makes so much. And how nice that is. Cause that's, a, that's another big problem. I think people with video have is keeping track of all the assets and making sure it's getting changed in all the right places. So you mentioned something else, Lee, I want to talk about, you mentioned, uh, and it was in your bio as well, the five moments of need. 
And I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit more about what this is, because there's often, there's models out there that, you know, some of the models uh, are, as, as we talked about prior to the show, more uh, project management kind of workflow in terms of like what steps you do when and how you do those. But could you tell us a little bit what, what is this five moments of need that you, you discussed earlier? Yeah, so I started with Addy model which is the basic water file, waterfall approach. We create a big design document, and based on that, we'll have someone else design it. The other side of that is the successive approximation model, or SAM model, which is basically the agile approach to learning and development. Five moments of need, really, you answer one question. Is this a workflow-based training? If there's a workflow okay. present, then the five moments of need will apply and you can use it to map the workflow, refine the workflow, identify your performance objectives, identify your decision points. And then what it really focuses on is the performance support that the performer will need on day one, Monday morning, after all the training is complete and they need to do their job. With standard training, you may end up with an hour and a half e-learning module. If you follow the five moments of need, you will more than likely end up with a 10 or 15 minute e-learning module with very helpful, supportive performance support tools, job aids, infographics, short instructional videos to support them while performing the job, as opposed to, I'm going to give you an hour and a half of content and expect you to know where to apply that on Monday morning. Yeah, make, makes sense. So I, I, a long time ago, when I was working on my master's degree, uh, the program I went through is called uh, Instructional Systems Technology, and we often looked at the system, right? It was never, uh, while you learned instructional design, it was, wasn't really just that. It was looking at the entire system, and I, I, I love this approach, and I am actually woefully ignorant about the approach. I feel like I should know way more about it at this point in my career. Uh, but I love that it sounds like it's really starting to take that system look, right? It's Yes, there's a training component of it, but... As we all know, training only goes so far, and then it's can can someone actually do the job, and so that that makes so much sense to me. Okay, so Lee, let's say you're working through this. You've got your you've got your design kind of laid out. You know you're going to do a video. Uh, you understand that it's we'll take in this case. Let's say it is uh, going to be a workflow. Uh, what's next for you? Do you go jump right into the script, or is there other steps that you do to help you make sure you're creating? Uh, that ever good long evergreen content. Yeah, excellent question. I keep saying that. Um, they're all good questions, Matt. It's Matt, of course. They're excellent questions. Um, well, well, we'll take. I'll take the compliments when I can get them. <laughs> yeah. So if you're, if you found out it is a workflow, then what we do is we map out the workflow beginning, middle, and end. And what I've found is when we speak based on workflow, we don't get hung up in content and the six binders of content that need to go into this training because the learner needs to know it. You can separate that conversation early on by modeling the workflow. In order for them to complete the tasks that they're doing, they must complete one, two, three, four, five, six. So what you would probably do from that is develop a multimedia approach. And I would develop fully the job aid or infographic or one pager first. That gets my step one, step two, step three, then you do this. Map all of that out as your prototype and vet that with stakeholders. And the important part of five moments of need is you always vet it with a future learner. 
You do not want to play with people in corporate who have never actually done the job. That is how you get the worst reviews because they don't really help you. You give it to a future learner, the person that will be depending on this content and make sure that that process makes sense. Once that makes sense, how easy do you think it is to make your instructional video now that you have the workflow mapped, the process mapped, and you've built your instructions in text? That means your video does not need to be a duplicate of your job aid anymore. You don't need to get in the weeds as much. It's a high level. First, you'll start here, you'll go through here, and because you use the five moments need approach, you're able to highly and clearly identify the decision points in the process where you will need to stop this video, stop this process, and decide what you're going to do here. Often in instructional videos, we mention there's a decision, skip right over it, and when the video ends, they're more confused than when they started because I'm not mm -hmm. sure I was following you, but I'm not sure what to put in box number three. That wasn't clear to me. And this would then refer to performance support tools, which would either be a tool, a job aid, or potentially an email address or a phone number to call someone who can help you figure out to make sure you're putting the right information in. Sometimes we do a job aid that doesn't get specific enough, it skips too fast, and you lose the learner, and they turn off the video and go, man, the most important part was half a second and I don't even know what to do here, and I don't know where to go for help. So what people tend to do is close the window and go make something up. <laughs> Which we don't want them to do. Let's, let's just be clear with anyone listening. We <laughs> yeah. don't want them to go make things up, especially, you know, if they're dealing with life, death kind of situations. Customers, yeah. Customer, cu customer stuff that costs <laughs> lots of money. Uh, real quickly, we had a, a question that comes in, came in. Jason Hayes on YouTube was asking, if you have any public facing examples of your training videos that you've done, maybe for, I think just if there's anything that you can think of that would maybe help people see what you're talking about, kind of some of the work that you've done. And I don't know if that's, you have anything out there or not. I do. I'll dig it up and I'll reply to you after this interview and we'll get Perfect. you some links to some stuff. Honestly, most of my stuff is behind the scary corporate firewall because it is all for like corporate kind of information. And a lot of this stuff has a very short shelf life, particularly on the tutorial side of the house on the, um, on the higher developed stuff, it's typically loaded full of corporate secrets. So we typically don't put it on public, but I do have a couple things and I will find some. Okay. Yeah, that would be great. And what we'll do here on the visual lounge, we'll make sure we get that either put into the description or into a comment for all the different places that you can find us, including maybe the podcast sh show notes. So, uh, you know, this is, I, and I, going back to what you were saying, Lee, is, uh, you know, I love this concept that you're, you're kind of building like the very specific, con it sounds like it's more specific content, the job aid, the things that are gonna kind of move you through. And then the video can do this kind of almost higher level uh, at times role of, maybe it's a little bit more of the why, maybe it's, uh, at times it's probably showing this, this specific steps, whether it's a, you know, if it's a screen to like, you're talking about using Salesforce, I can imagine you're showing them like, no, like right up here, this is where you need to do this. And here's how it works. But I love that you're using these things together and it's not the either or kind of proposition that so often happens when we talk about video and, and, and I'm guilty of it too, because I work for a company that makes a video tool. I also work for a company that makes an image tool. And so I love, I love those interplays together. So, okay. So we've got this kind of idea. You're working with your stakeholders. You know what you're going to create. You know what the points are that are needed. Um, 
Tell us a little bit about your script writing process, because I, I think, you know, we've heard here that there's always a debate, should I write a script, not write a script? And you mentioned early on, that's where a lot of things can go wrong, because if you don't have a script, you don't know where things should stop or what content shouldn't be there. Um, but what does your process look like for that? Do you have a, you have a methodology that you follow or is it just, you're, you're talking to stakeholders and asking questions, but I don't know, how does it work for you? Yeah, I like to, when I say script, what I normally script is I script the introduction or the WIFM, which is known what's in it for me, which is going to provide the context behind this video, which most of the time in a lot of corporate stuff is missing, the context. Why does this matter? Why do I care about that? That is something I will script out, is the introduction and often the conclusion. Um, people remember the beginning and end of a video much more. They say that people remember the beginning of an event and the end of event, because if people only remembered the middle of an event, people wouldn't have children, because the middle part hurts a lot. But the end part is wonderful and everyone loves that. That's what everyone remembers. The fun part at the end. So I'll script the introduction, I'll script the conclusion. I typically outline most of the content in between. And for me, it becomes much like a production checklist when I'm doing screen caps. I need to get A, B, C, D in this video, make sure it is all there. And then you can refine the rest of that in the editor, but you gotta kind of check those boxes to make sure we cover that. And what I try to make sure I do is I do not want my videos to just be like someone reading a PowerPoint slide to you, mm -hmm. like literally just reading the stuff, the text that is on screen. And I think the other thing where people fail when it comes to the scripting part is if this is going to go into multiple languages, you need to think about localization in the way that you words you use and the text you put up on screen. If they have no meaning in the other market that you're going to with a different language, it becomes very difficult to translate if you have to do that. So that's where scripting can be super helpful with translation later. With screencast, I tend not to script out every single word that I say, nor do I have my trainers do that. What I will do is say, please, or myself, take a couple takes at it. Allow myself to have, when I do recording in person, one, two, three different takes for each mm -hmm. scene. There's no, nothing wrong with doing that with screencasting too. Take one take at it, two take at it, three takes at it. And then when it comes in the editing bay, we're back to our mise-en-plots concept where you can go select between those because I kind of jumbled a word midway through the last part of the video. If you took a couple takes at it, you have some options, some choices to slip that in. And here's the fun part about screencasts. You're not matching lips your cut does not have to be perfect. No one can tell the difference if your audio is behind the scenes when you're slicing together a screencast. You can totally get away with cutting two, two different recordings end to end and no one will ever know. That's one of the best parts about it. None of that works if you don't have a clear outline because each of your takes will be different. They'll be in a different order and it can get kind of messy. That's where the outline helps me. And as for production, I tend to throw down a quick sloppy zero draft from beginning to end, just record the whole thing haphazardly from beginning to end. And I find I'm going to discover all the tragedies, nuances, and confusing, confusing things I will need to deal with in this recording through the initial zero draft. I've almost never been able to use a zero draft for various mm -hmm. reasons, but occasionally you hit it. You do the first recording, you're like, I think that may just be done. And sometimes it's been pretty close. But I find that initial just 
pull your sleeves up, run from beginning to end. And normally those decision points we discussed, you tend to run into those like a freight train doing your initial recording. You run through and go, well, gee, that seemed a lot simpler until I got on the tool and realized how many choices there actually is there. And you kind of circle that in your outline and go, that's going to be the problem area where all the decisions are. That's what we're going to have to think about. And that may be where the scripting actually starts. That's what the five moments to need is about is throw up a quick prototype and then be willing to adapt, adjust, refine. And Sam, Sam Rogers and I used to say, you, you just iterate, you just iterate and iterate and iterate. And eventually version two or three, you're like, everything beyond this point is just minor changes. This would be what I would call your minimum effective dose. You could actually launch with this if you had to. Now, we all know that perfectionists in us want to fix 100 things on it, but the stakeholders like, launch it as it is. It's perfect. <laughs> they don't. Yeah, which is, perfection is kind of a, I, I find with especially people who have been video editors like yourself that, it's you're never done it's just you you've had to stop right like you're editing you're like okay i've got to stop here because we could always keep making changes uh true for films true for lots of things um man you you keep you keep just like so many good things here i want to go back a little bit uh because i wanted to mention you mentioned about the opening and the close people remember those um and I'm sure you know who uh, Bob Pike is. He We interviewed him. We actually have a video on our YouTube channel. I just want to mention to people that is, he talks about uh, this uh, this process called core and he talks about doing some of the openers and the closers and, and how just important those pieces are for establishing relevancy. Uh, the localization stuff is another key thing. Uh, we do a lot of localization and scripts. Let me just tell you, I, I don't know. Uh, I think you could probably manage if you had really good talent on the other side of the language that was equally kind of yoked to you in terms of your ability, but not always the case. Um, so I just, I, I love all these things that you're saying, Lee. This is so, I'm like, I'm absorbing and trying to process it all because uh, there's so many good things. And I love the zero, the, you call it a zero take. Did I get that right? Yeah, call it the zero draft. That comes draft. from the days of writing where you just, throw everything down yeah, and then kind of look at it and go, wow, these two paragraphs need a lot of work, but at least I've got a, a beginning, a middle and an end. And you can find where you need to polish. And typically one or two sections need a lot of work and the rest of them may stay as they were in the initial zero draft. Yeah. We've actually done a little bit of that with uh, writing some scripts that uh, we like in Google, Google Docs or whatever, whatever, a lot of tools will do this, but you can turn on the voice. Uh, so it will transcribe your voice as you go. You could do this with TechSmith Audio. You could do I, Microsoft Word to some degree. Um, and then we'll just, we'll actually make the video, like talk through the video, even doing screen recording. Yeah. And that, and it's never, like you said, it's usually not the perfect, it's not the perfect one. You're not going to be able to take that and cut it into the thing but it, it allows you to capture a lot of those things and those decision points, as you mentioned. And so that's, to me, that's just, what a great idea, just to get the ideas out there, start to see where the problems are, what the challenges are, even starting to think about the language, because I imagine that's a big thing too. What language do I use? And just thinking about the, that, that zero draft and catching some of that language and the way that, uh, the way you talk about things is really important. So let me ask a couple more questions and then we're going to, we'll move into our speed round because I want to be respectful of, of, of your time. But so you talked about involving the stakeholders kind of throughout the entire process. Um, 
and which is which I think a lot of people in the especially instructional design world we talk a lot about working with the the stakeholders or the subject matter experts and it's it's usually a rough relationship. So what advice would you have for someone when cuz you know they ultimately need to probably buy into whatever it is you're creating? What advice would you give to our audience about that process that might make it better for them as you create these drafts, as you're creating kind of your uh, you know, getting the stake the stakeholders who are going to be the end learner to involve how do you do that so that's an effective process and doesn't feel like you're maybe pulling teeth like some people experience? Yeah, so two things. One thing I've done in the past is I'm working with a trainer or an expert that's trying to create this content. I will set them up with a license for Camtasia and have them record the zero draft. Just record this process from beginning to end and give me the Camtasia file. And we upload it to Google Drive, I open it, I export it as an MP4, and I will transcribe it. I have my script from what they started with. And I can look at what I would need to refine, what I need to do, and I can see the nuance in there. I can then edit that hard with them, polish out my conclusion. What I've stopped doing, I used to write up a script or an outline, and then I would have stakeholders review that and tell me what they thought. And I found quite often when we get to the written word, they'll get lost in mm. things that don't really matter as much in the final product. Um, this isn't the word we use. Fantastic. I can change that. Well, it can turn into a much longer conversation than it has to be. And you will get limited reviews or reactions to an outline. If I slap it together into a video, now that people can visually see what it will look like, you start to air a lot better concerns and it's a lot easier to go back and fix it. I used to think, get all the corrections you can in text before you go to media. Because if you do that, you will save the number of iterations in video. And I have found that is not exactly true. A lot of people skim over an outline and they will send you the worst feedback email you've ever got. <laughs> Looks good. It's like, yep, okay. Let me produce the video and give them something they can actually react to, and then I'll get some feedback, and then I can refine it. And I find that that iteration model, as Sam coined the term, iterate to great. But you got to start with something for people to react to, and often a script will just get you lost in the sauce. So that's how the stakeholders help me to do that, and they kind of inform my gut because they will let me know where the bumper rails are, where the real – concerns were getting into dicey area. They can't be doing this. I'm like, well, I wouldn't have known that until I gave them a video they could react to. Right. Well, that's, that's super interesting because oftentimes I, I feel like, uh, there's a lot of corporate corporations who would say, no, 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 don't worry about any media. We want to see the script. We want to see the words, but I, I love that, that thinking that, you know, they're the ultimate outcome is in a script, right? It's not something someone's going to read, which is the language you use in a script is, is different when it's read out loud than when what you would write in a word document, like that was going to be a, a PDF, right? Like you're going to say things differently. I know we have some, I don't want to call them rules, but they're informal rules. Like we speak plainly, we speak with contractions, whereas in our formal, like our writing, we might not use as many contractions. Uh, we had the one question, um, what's the worst feedback you ever gotten from a client stakeholder and how did you get them back on course? So obviously sometimes stakeholders don't know what feedback to give. They're giving feedback. It might be way in left field. It might be spot on, but 
Any any thoughts on, on that one, Lee? I would say that the worst feedback is always non-specific. So mm. this feedback is, I don't like that image. <laughs> okay. Can and and again, we have to be careful. Remember, it's never the other person. If you're frustrated about something, you're probably frustrated about yourself in some way. So when someone gives you non-specific feedback, I find the best thing to respond with is, can you tell me what you don't like about that image, the image specifically? And is there an image that you could refer me to that you'd like and tell me why? And typically that's enough to get the, oh no, what I really wanted was a picture of a basket with a puppy coming out of it. It's like, fantastic. Here, let me give you a link to iStock Photos. Can you find a puppy in a basket and see whatever will work for you? At least you get an idea of what they're after. And I find I have to use the word specifically and it gives them permission to go in the weeds because reviewers don't want to burden you or go into the weeds and that's exactly what we need. So I find that and the other worst feedback in the world is, looks great, perfect. <laughs> that's the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst. I love it just as it is. Don't change anything. It's like, okay, well, if you were to change one thing, if there was one thing that concerned you or anything and you get specific on that, I'll say, oh, well, I do think it's a little long. Maybe we don't need this. Fantastic. I got some feedback. I can work with that. So it's getting non-specific into specific, the abstract into the concrete. Yeah. And, no, I love and remember, that. Don't judge. Don't judge. Just be kind. Yeah, well, I also think there's a, a role on us as video creators to help people understand what feedback is helpful, right? Because they don't know. They don't know what is going to be useful feedback if they've never worked with videos before. So I think there's probably some of our own personal training that has to happen that it should be specific. It, you know, give give me details. Tell me time, Sam's. If there's something you don't like, that's helpful. Uh, and well, I, remember, I, probably, I Oh, go ahead. Remember, as a video programmer, as a video person who does stuff, you always assume everybody knows the same things you know. Mm -hmm. And that is often known as the Dunning-Kruger effect, that you tend to think everyone knows exactly what you do, and also the dumbest person in the room thinks they're the smartest person in the room. The problem is that's you because you're making assumptions about the people. And just be key that, hey, I assume everyone knew that. And that's where you went wrong. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great advice. And that question was actually from Garth on YouTube. Hemingway asks, how do I perform the script that I teach in front of the camera? If I read, if I read it, how can I read it? Second, how should I, the camera record my image close at medium size? So this is, uh, do you do many on camera film like videos, Lee, or are you mostly doing like screencasts or PowerPoint presentation types of things? Or do you have like on camera stuff where you're on camera? Yeah, I do both. Um, when I do my screen recordings, I often record the screen on with Camtasia. Mm -hmm. And how I do it is I typically have a screen or an iPad behind what I'm reading. So I'm looking at the camera beyond the camera is my iPad in teleprompter mode, because I often won't set up my teleprompter for something too simple. And I can't say it enough, do it in chunks. If you mm -hmm. have to record one paragraph at a time, record one paragraph at a time. Because I assure you, that's how they're doing it in Hollywood. Rarely is someone nailing that entire monologue in one take. You don't need to either. And cut your script down. You don't need to be on camera that much. Often our script is way too damn big. That's why it's hard to read. You need to cut it down. You need to shorten it. Make sure that with him is no more than a paragraph. If it is, you may have run into the terrible curse of thinking other people want to hear you talk. And they probably <laughs> don't. 
<laughs> I understand that feeling. I'm sorry to everybody having to hear me talk a lot. <laughs> well, I know I think it's it, it's super solid advice because I know I've done several shoots where we've had a big, you know, I think one my my most aggressive. We had 30 videos we we're going to record. They were like a minute and a half to two minutes long ish. Um, and there's no way I could even do those, those videos all in one take. So we did multiple takes of, of parts, right? And the, the, you just having something you can read a teleprompter is great if you can get one. If not, I like what you said, just put like an iPad behind the camera. So it looks, you're still looking at the camera, but you're able to, to read. And then the one thing I, I, I just like to warn people about is you, you want to make sure the width of whatever that text is, isn't wide. You want it narrow because you don't want your eyes going back and forth looking like you're right. reading. Cause you will and your, or your head's moving or something like that. You want to be able to read it just kind of going through, but there's lots of great teleprompter apps out there. If anyone's looking, uh, go to whatever platform you're on iOS or Android or whatever, and you can find one, some, uh, some really great options there. So good advice. Thank you, Lee. Got another question here. Uh, this one comes in and says, is there a case for creating written document with screenshots as an alternative to a video training episode? And Ooh, yeah, I got a big one for that. Let's use TechSmith Snagit and our Camtasia. I record the screen recording and your eyes are going to light up when you hear this one. You dump out animated gyps to go alongside of your step by step. And it looks like the newspapers in Harry Potter mm -hmm. where the images are moving. And you find that you can use a lot less step-by-step -step text because your animated GIFs animate what's going on. And I find that my documentation drops to half the normal size. You can't use it in Microsoft Word. It doesn't like animated GIFs, but there are tools you can use to put it in. And we use it for Articulate Rise. Mm -hmm. We put all our documentation in Articulate Rise, and it can honor an animated GIF. And I find having... The process, first click one, then click two, then click three, your animated GIF showing that alongside can make for some really good documentation. Well, absolutely. And I know uh, you've mentioned Sam Robert Rogers a couple of times, good friend of ours. Uh, he, he talks about, especially if your end users are in a low bandwidth area. So maybe they're, he, uh, I think the example you guys use in a presentation was like a credit union. And if they're out in some branch that's in the middle of nowhere and they can't watch, the video is hard for them to watch animated GIF or GIF, whatever camp you're in, uh, can be, can be a lifesaver. And, and then you still get some of the movement and some of the, the action to draw attention. So that's a, that's great. And I love that how you're interplaying those, uh, the tools there together. We'll go, uh, we got one more question here and then we're going to go our speed round questions. Cause we'll have a little bit of fun now that we've got the internet working here. Uh, Sharon asks if you're recording a screen for step-by-step -step instruction, should you record yourself also, or just the screen? So uh, do you turn on the camera for doing step by step? Do you want to be in, have your instructor in there, Lee, or do you keep it out? Excellent question. I normally do both. If I ever think I'm going to want the context setting, the visual part, and you just have to remind yourself, I sometimes put a sticky note nearby to remind me my camera's on because recording while you're talking like this is as awkward as it looks. And what I find is it's very easy in Camtasia to do a, a command T to trim mm -hmm. and then take the opacity of me and drop that to zero 
and the camera disappears when I don't need it. So I'll do my introduction on camera and my conclusion on camera. The camera pops up and I'll zoom to full screen. Hey, this is why this matters. This is why you care about that. And this is when you'll be able to use this. I disappear to the step-by-step. -step. If you have any questions, go here, here, and here. It's nicer to have someone on person staring at someone's eyes telling you, hey, was that helpful? If not, here's what you can do to resolve. Bye for now. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Lee, uh, just as a reminder for everyone listening, our speed round questions were, Lee, these are meant to be fast answers. We'll have a little fun with them, but let's jump in right now. All right, Lee, ready for your first question. What's one ingredient to your, the secret video sauce? So if you had to say there's one thing to make your videos awesome, what would you say it is? A fantastic, tasty soundtrack. Nobody expects that in a step-by-step -step video. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So as a final next question, as a final uh, cut pro instructor, which you, you have been in the past, what's the one biggest, so you're going to draw on that experience, current experience. What's one big mistake you see video creators make kind of on a regular basis? Spending way too much time in post-production kind of special effects moves when you have not even defined the story yet. You've just edited, refined, polished something that won't even make it in the final video. That's the worst mistake. Dig digging into layers and images and transitions and you don't even have the whole story down yet. Yeah. Biggest mistake on any platform. I, I've made, I think everyone has to make that mistake at one point in their career and you've done all this work and then you're like, oh crap, I've got to make a change. And it just, it's painful because you have to undo so much work. Uh, another question for you. You mentioned in, in, it's in your bio that you like to cook. What's your favorite dish to cook? Egg fried rice. I love Uncle Roger. I've seen all of Uncle Roger's videos and I have become very good at making kitchen sink egg fried rice, whatever leftover in the kitchen. Egg fried rice only has three ingredients, egg, fry, and rice. <laughs> that's funny because that's my, my son has been watching the Uncle Roger videos and for I think for like two weeks straight, Every day I'd come down at lunchtime working from at home and he was making fried rice, trying to perfect it. And uh, it was good. It was, it was a good thing to make. That's awesome. <laughs> so let me ask you this. If you weren't in a role, the current role that you're in at Sunrun uh, or kind of in this role at this time in your, your career, what would you wish you were doing? I'd be facilitating yoga and mindfulness classes for technology workers to learn how to be present enter their own body and understand we all have racing minds. I'm a disabled veteran who works with other veterans who had to find my own way through PTSD and everything else. And I've found sharing my practice with others helps them to relax and helps me to relax. So more of that, please. Yeah, that, that sounds fantastic. And thank you for all that you've done. Uh, well, maybe we'll have to have a, we'll have to talk because I'd love to learn from you. Uh, next question. What's the best video learning experience that you've had that wasn't one of your videos? So that's not something you've made, but something that you've learned from. What was that experience? About, uh, three months ago, we were planting our cucumbers and we weren't sure how far apart to place them, what to fertilize them with. Cause the ones from last year were very difficult to pick. So I put on the largest learning management system in the world, YouTube search for how to plant cucumbers, watched a video 
and literally 10 minutes later, we drew up a plan, put all of our cucumbers down, and right now we are ready for serious pickle time because the cucumbers are going off. Watch someone else do a short video eight minutes later. I'm like, that's what YouTube is here for, man. Just find someone who's making it up as they go along and iterate from there. That's that's awesome. And uh, I we hope you enjoy all the pickles because cucumbers, at least it's not zucchinis, which keep giving to the point where people get tired of the, the zucchinis. Let's, I don't think cucumbers are quite as bad. All right. Uh, <laughs> you've got two more questions for you, right? Uh, this next one is uh, an easy, I don't know if it's easy. The last one we're going to turn around a little bit here. But this next question is, where do you turn for inspiration? So you're looking to be inspired. Where do you go? Um, two places. One, I pull out my notebook, turn off the computer, turn off everything, pull out my sketchbook, and I'll sketch up what I want it to look like and kind of go outside and do that. And then I follow Steve Jobs in this. I go for a walk, turn off the editor, turn off everything, and just clear the mind for a good 45-minute hour hike, just intentionally try to get lost. And then typically bubbling under the surface, hmm, I'm looking at this from the wrong perspective. If I look at it from a different perspective, this problem is actually pretty easy to solve. So get away from the stuff. I've never solved a computer problem staring at a computer. Love it. Love it. Okay. Last question for you. What's one question you'd like to ask me? At least you're not putting me on the spot. Yeah. You know, of course not. <laughs> what is your favorite thing you, you interview people all the time and get these great stories. What is like the most inspiring kind of story you've heard from someone on these interviews? Oh my gosh. They're so different. It makes it really hard because everyone brings, and I don't mean this to be a cop-out answer, but everyone brings something really unique and special about what they're doing. I think the things that I love hearing about is what moves people to action. Um, because making videos for a lot of us, it's just our, it's part of our job, you know, making images is part of our job, but there's a lot of people like yourself, you know, hearing about what the fact that you, you would turn away from the technology and go to mindfulness and meditation. Um, but because of your experience, right. Listening to, to Kara North talk about, and she said, she said hi to us earlier in the chat. If she's, I don't know if she's still watching, but hi Kara, you know, she talked about, uh, you know, her, how much she mentors people and how much she, just how much she gives of her time uh, and her resources to, to help people to find jobs, to help them to learn about instructional design. You know, I hear these, I get the, the, the insight and privilege and it, oftentimes it's not on camera because that's not what we're there to talk about. But uh, I get to hear these stories of just the good people are doing. And that is so touching to me. It makes me want to just be a better person which I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to do lots of good out there uh, in the different communities I work in. But I just think I, I, I am so blessed to hear and have that reminder just about every single week about what people are doing. So that's the thing that I think is the most moving and touching to me. Uh, and it's not, it has really nothing to do with making videos. It has nothing to do with, you know, being good at instructional design or whatever it is. It's just that I am blessed in my life to talk to fantastic people who are amazing, not only at their jobs and the knowledge that they have because it, it runs deep, but they're also just good people. And I, and I love that. So that's what I would say. I love it. Yeah. Well, Lee, thank you so much for taking time out of your, your schedule. I know you you got kind of uh, put into a, a situation where you're not at home where you're expected to be, where you're calling in from a, a hotel. And uh, we're glad that you could make it. We're glad the internet, for the most part, worked <laughs> the whole entire time. Uh, and, you know, 
we we appreciate all that you're doing there and the good work and the the knowledge that you shared. Uh, so everybody, thanks thanks again for tuning in and sticking with us. Thanks for the great questions today. Thanks for all that you all do in our community to help make just things a better place. And you know what we hope really from this show is that you get to hear from these great people. You get to hear their stories. You get to hear their advice, their practical knowledge. It's not just me talking about it. We got, if you want to hear me talking about other things, you got, we've got the workflow version part of the visual lounge you can tune into, uh, which we release those episodes with Andy and Justin and myself every week as well. But we hope that you take away from these, these experts, the knowledge that they're sharing with you, because it is, it is awesome and it's amazing stuff that they're, they're saying. So with that said, whatever you're doing, whether you're making images, videos, you know, you're just trying to make better instruction, better content, whatever it might be. We hope that you take time in your busy schedule to level up every single day. And we'll be back next week. Chandra Owen from TechSmith, an instructional designer that works on our Snagit content is going to be here joining us talking about some of the same things that Lee talked about from her perspective. And we'll see you guys next week. Till then.